once again to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, joined by my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And today we're going to break down the Ravens' 37-26 win at New England, their first ever regular season win at New England. Of course, they've got a couple playoff wins in, in Foxborough, but a big win for this team coming off what we call the Miami meltdown last week. How would this team rebound? How would they recover? And they recovered well enough to walk out of Foxborough with a win, now 2-1 and one on the season. Before we break down this game, I want to remind you that all Believe in the Ravens podcasts are sponsored by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-the-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, NBA, NHL, combat sports, baseball, even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, live betting, uh, props, in-game futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And Daniel Wilcox for the Ravens in New England... This game for a long time had a feel that the last team with uh, with the ball was going to win because neither defense was doing much to stop the other offense. But then this defense of the Ravens that was so maligned in the past week after that Miami game delivered with three straight turnovers on three straight drives for the New England Patriots in the fourth quarter. And that really closed the door and the Ravens walk out with a 37-26 to win. But first, this team won more than any reason because Lamar Jackson put it on its on his back once again. Through three games, Lamar Jackson is playing at an MVP form. He leads the NFL in touchdown passes. He leads the NFL in quarterback rating. And oh, by the way, he also has now back-to-back 100-yard rushing games. All his talents have been on display through three weeks. And yes, he still, still has critics. And yesterday, John Harbaugh was asked about what what can you say to Lamar Jackson's critics at this point? And John Harbaugh answered to the extent of, "Hey, at this point, we don't know. We, we can't help you. If you don't believe in him yet, we just can't help you." So, Daniel Wilcox, break down Lamar Jackson's game for me and tell me what you would say to whatever critics still remain of Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar played at such a high level, Bo. It was it was an excellent. It was excellent just sitting here, just watching how he just put together and executed play after play after play of just greatness, man. I mean, from running the ball, from throwing the ball, uh, from throwing touchdowns. I mean, the one touchdown he threw to Mark Andrews off his back foot, and he was he was falling away. It was like Jordan shooting a, a, a buzzer beater, man. It was it was unbelievable. Mark Andrews go up at high point, sit, you know, grabs it for a touchdown, and then the dime that he dropped to Duvernay in the corner of the end zone was absolutely. I mean, that was about as good as it gets. You know, you always taught as a quarterback to throw the ball where only your receiver can get it. And he put it where only his guy can get it and kept him in bounds at the same time. And I mean, he just he, he threw a couple of dimes to Bateman too as well. The one that Bateman dropped deep, I felt like it was a drop. It wasn't an overthrown ball. Um, I feel like Bateman gotta have that, you know. But he he I mean, the deep ball is about as good as anything I've seen, you know, is from a quarterback. I mean, his touch on the ball is phenomenal. He doesn't throw a heavy ball at all. He throws a very light ball. It's an easy catchable ball, which receivers love. And he could and he can still zip it and, you know, put it on a rope at any given time at, at any given time. And just to watch how how he picked and chose when to run the ball, 
and how he sat in the pocket and was very patient throughout the entire game, you know, it shows that his offensive line, he's starting to really believe back in those guys and, and have faith in those guys. He's not antsy. You know, he's very patient. And he's putting, he's, you know, like you said, boy, he put the team on his back, man. I just, I, I love seeing Lamar play. And I really hate, you know, how people constantly try to blame him for everything. Hell, even last week, the the game against Miami, they was it was Lamar, it's Lamar's fault. I mean, how is it his fault? You know what I'm saying? And they give up, the defense give up six touchdowns, it's still the quarterback's fault. But I mean, that's how it is. As a QB, you got to take on all the hate you got to get, I guess. But in his situation, Bo, you know, you look at people say, like Lamar only, you know, threw the ball, you know, 25 times. All the rest of the quarterback threw the ball 40 times. Hell, Joe Flacco threw the ball 52 times this week. You know what I'm saying? Still lost. You know, so he may throw the ball 25 times, but then he may run the ball another 15. And that's how I look at it, you know. So if he's getting if he's getting yards running the ball, that equates to his passing as well in my book because he's that dynamic of a quarterback. And you can't punish a guy for being more talented than somebody else. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. He's so much more talented than everybody else. I hate him because he can run the ball. He's running back because he can run. No, he's just a talented-ass quarterback. I mean, he throws the ball about as accurate as I've seen anybody throw the ball. You know, he puts it where his guys can get it. He's You don't you don't see a lot of his players get set up and get their head took off across the middle. You know, he still plays football the way football is supposed to be played. And then he extends those, he extends the plays better than anybody else in, in right now in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You could see the frustration building in some of the Patriots when they thought they had him bottled up. And it was the same thing we saw with the Dolphins and the same thing we saw with the Jets. They think they have him bottled up. And then he wiggles out of it, and suddenly he's got a 9 or 10-yard or even a 5-yard run that is only 5 yards, but it's 5 yards instead of minus 8. And it makes a huge difference for the offense. But he's playing at an extremely high level through three games. And you're right that the passing through to Duvernay was one of these tight window plays. It was just where his receiver could get it. And to Duvernay's credit, he's now made two contested touch tough touchdown catches. And they were looking for something like that from some other receiver not named Rashad Bateman. And Duvernay has really stood out with now four touchdowns in three games. It's three of them passing and one of them, of course, on the kick return. Okay, the other big news on this offense yesterday was J.K. Dobbins finally got back on the field after the injury that cost him all of last season. He's been itching to get back. He was inactive game one, inactive game two, finally gets on the field yesterday. He was modest, seven carries, 23 yards. He had a couple of receptions. Justice Hill had a big game with six catches for 60 yards, or six rushes, rather, for 60 yards, and he had a big run up the middle that set up a touchdown when uh, Pat Ricard just absolutely steamrolled Matthew Judon to set up that play. But uh, Daniel Wilcox, what did you see from J.K. Dobbins in his first action of the year? I still think J.K. is a little bit timid, and I think he's just trying to feel his way right now. I mean, it's great to see him back out there, Bo, and I think he made a huge impact, just him being in uniform, being on the field. I think it was a part of why Justice Hill got such a big, you know, had such a big game. Um, that confidence of having your teammates back, you know, it pushes you and catapults you to, to play a little bit better. You know, Justice um, Hill has had a couple of games underneath his belt. So I think, I think he feels a little bit more relaxed from his injuries than um, Dobbins does. And I think as Dobbins play week in and week out, you will see them get him more and more and more involved. And this week was just to get him, you know, just to get him a filler, you know, to see how he looked to see how he feels. He still doesn't look like he's running at full speed to me right now. And I think he's kind of a little bit timid, you know, just trying to take those hits and, you know, definitely being cautious. He'll take a hit the way he took when he got hurt. And he'll, once he gets past that, he gets up from it. He'll start to gain his confidence back one hit, one hit after one hit. But absolutely 
great to see him back out there, man. It's super excited. As soon as I heard him call his name, the first time he was in the game, and I was like, yes, sir, that's what I'm talking about. Let's go, Baltimore. We started to get some of our big hitters back. Um, if we can get this kid back and get him rolling the way that he wants to, because he still want to make a name for himself, Bo. So he's going to come out here, and he, once he gets comfortable and he starts to feel like Superman again, you'll see Superman reincarnated. I agree with you that he is easing his way back, but mm-hmm. there's no question it's a better. It looked to me by far the best the running game has looked through three games. And I think part of that is Dobbins coming back. Part of it is Justice Hill coming back. And I think part of it is, I think uh, Lamar Jackson in that read option offense just runs better with Dobbins in the game. I think the defense has yeah. to be more aware yeah. of Dobbins. They fear Dobbins, I think, a little more to get to the edge than they ever Absolutely. did with Davis or Kenyon Drake. And so mm-hmm. that changes how you play defense. And a couple times we saw yesterday, some of Lamar Jackson's big runs came off read option. One of them when Devin Du, he faked a Devin Duvernay on a jet sweep, much like he did on the touchdown against Miami and he got a big gain. Yeah. But I just look at that offense right now and I say, Dobbins, Hill, and when they get Gus Edwards back, that's what they want in that running back room. Kenyon Drake, okay, he's a fill-in. Mike Davis, okay, he's a fill-in. But in the long term, mm-hmm. those aren't the guys. I think when Justice no. Hill... And J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, whenever he comes back, are healthy. That's what they want. And yesterday, for the first time, for the first time in New England, I thought that running game started to look a little bit like they want it to look. So that was encouraging. And you're right. I'm sure. Do- I'm sure Dobbins will. Uh, his workload will steadily increase. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Bo. I mean, just I mean, when you look at some of the runs that Lamar had, you know, those pulls he's been giving those because they've been basically on a read option play, the defense keys on either the running back or the quarterback. They've been keying on Lamar the first couple of games because the running game wasn't that much of a threat. You know, they they would much rather him give the ball to the running back than him take off running. But this week they had to respect that run a little bit more. And he was able to you know actually pull some of those gives that he's been given the last couple of weeks. And that's why it opened up so well for him, I think. Absolutely. All right, let's start. The other news on this team is uh, Patrick McCarry left the game with an ankle injury, and he, of course, was playing left tackle because Juwan James was hurt, and he was playing left tackle because Ronnie Stanley's still hurt. They mm-hmm. had to turn to rookie Daniel Falele, who's never played left tackle, to be the left tackle for most of that game, and he fared okay. It looked like he got overmatched early, and then later in the game, the Ravens did a lot of... They added Josh Oliver, the tight end, to Falele's side and gave him some help, basically, and I thought yeah. that was a big help, but... They need to get Ronnie Stanley back, and they need him back now. We asked John Harbaugh about Ronnie Stanley's status later, uh, last week, rather. And he said, well, Ronnie Stanley will be back when Ronnie Stanley feels he's capable of playing at, at the level that Ronnie Stanley knows he can play at. And I'm sorry, I don't think that's, I don't think that's good enough anymore. They need him. They, they, if Ronnie Stanley can be out there at a level that's better than a rookie fourth-round pick who's never played left tackle and is protecting the blind side of your franchise quarterback, and he needs to be out there. They need to get him out there. I don't think they can wait for him to feel like he's an all-pro again because it's they're down to their fourth tackle right now, and I think that's something that bears watching this week as well. Let's look over at the defense because we talked about would this team answer, would it respond after the disaster against Miami? And quite frankly, for part of this game, it didn't look much better. The, the, the Patriots moved at will at times, but when it mattered, Marlon Humphrey comes with a big end zone interception, Kyle Hamilton, who has just been beaten on locally by fans and the media and the talk radio all week, 
after that Miami game. He came up with one of the biggest plays of the game in pursuit, forces a fumble that Marcus Peters recovered. And then, of course, Marcus Peters gets a late game interception. How big was that for that group specifically to kind of make an answer like that in this game? I think it was huge. When it comes down to our defensive secondary, they're not playing like themselves right now. And um, there's a lot of holes and a lot of things that are, I guess, being misconveyed. You know, um, but to see that physical play that Hamilton made was huge. You know, the, the script fumble from the back, you know, just to have him having the awareness to go and do that, um, I, I think just shows the type of player that he could possibly be for us. And um, as he's a young guy, you know, when you inter- when you when you when you input somebody young around a bunch of veterans, you know, um, what you have to do is you have to surround them, you know, either side of got with guys that know exactly what they're doing. So if he does make mistakes, you know, you're in position to make to take up for those mistakes. And he has veteran guys. It's just interchanging guys left and right because there's still a couple of injuries lingering around that secondary right now as well. Guys are not flying around the way they should, you know, but I mean, to know that we're getting turnovers in spite, you know, of how we're playing, I can only imagine how we're going to look once we all get on the same page and everybody starts gelling together to, to be able to come and still have four turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. I think it was three interceptions and one forced fumble. Um, it's huge. It's huge for the secondary. And keep in mind, this is the type of secondary that normally, if they get it, uh, they get if they get three or four picks or three or four turnovers, somebody's returning something for a touchdown. Usually, that still is not happening yet. You know, so as they get to that point, I think you're going to start seeing some pick sixes in the future. And I think they're going to start gelling more and more and more as the season go on. As they get comfortable with each other. They got some great guys. Everybody that's back there are ball hawks, and they all hungry for the ball. And I think sometimes when you got a bunch of guys that are hungry for the ball like that, and I, I think this is probably one of the most talented secondary we've ever had, to be honest with you, just all around, just talented guys, right? And everybody over there could get picks, and everybody can return them to the house. And I think in this situation right now with a new defensive coordinator, them understanding, you know, what the linebackers, what the front four is doing, the front three or four is doing, and then that second level and then the third level, they all have to come together to jail to make sure they're on the same page. Not getting the question, the, the pressure on the quarterback is definitely an issue. We're not rushing five, six, seven guys every play. We're only rushing four or three most of the time, you know. So we normally get pressure with those three or four, you know. But what I did like this week, Bo, I saw some of those things that we talked about last week, that Rex Ryan way of kind of doing things, that Wink Martin Dale way of doing things, where you got four or five or six, seven guys on the line of scrimmage, and you end up rushing three and the rest of them fall back. I started to see a little bit of that, that overload, the overload blitz and stuff like that. And I think um, as we continue to grow as a defense, you're going to see more of that. You're going to see more disguising things, and you're going to see more guys coming scot-free. You know, adding Pierre Paul, I think, was a freaking genius move by you know, by our player personnel department. I think he's only going to help us, not going to hurt us at all, at all. And I think it's going to help bring us back to the to the defense that we've normally had. Well, let's talk about a couple of things you bring up there. One was on the pick six. Patrick Queen nearly had an interception at the goal line that I personally, I'm not sure he could have outrun everyone for a 100-yard pick six, but it was an interception at the goal line and he was going to take off the other way and it, it, it hit him in the number and it, and it, it fell. And that's one that they missed. Yeah. But the defense, yeah, that defense is built to get turnovers. They had... Three more yesterday. They have now six interceptions through three games. They only had nine interceptions all of last year. So they are well ahead of what they expected last year. And Re- Repeat that again, Bo, so the fans can hear that. Go ahead and repeat that they one had, They have six interceptions through three games. They only had nine all of nine. last year. Nine interceptions, and, and, and that's the problem. You don't get turnovers, then what happens? The defense is on the field even longer, and they're gassed even more, and so forth. So 
it all builds on itself, right? But Patrick Queen really he's gonna be he's gonna wish he had that one back. But Josh Bynes, as you mentioned, also had an interception. And the one interception by Marlon Humphrey, we talked about the pass rush, and we'll get into that in a second. The one interception by on by Marlon Humphrey in the end zone. <clears throat> now it didn't return for a touchdown, but it was in the end zone, so it cost the Patriots a touchdown. Same thing. But on that play, Pepe Williams blitzed off the corner. And I talked to some uh, Massachusetts and New England radio people this week, and they were saying the thing with Mac Jones, if you give him time, he can beat you. But if you can get to him and if you can blitz him and if you can get pressure, he's going to make a mistake or two. And that was the yeah. first thing I thought of when they – because Pepe Williams came off the edge. He, he forced that throw. It was quick. And then he floated it, and Humphrey was able to intercept it. The other thing that was strange yesterday, just before halftime, we saw a play where the Ravens – basically dropped all 11 players in coverage right before half. I don't know if you remember that play. Mac Jones, about 15 seconds left. Mac Jones goes back to pass, and all five linemen are just standing there with nothing to do because all 11 Ravens players had dropped, and yet the pass was caught, and he was able to get close enough to kick the field goal. It was a weird play. But this pass rush is an issue. There's no doubt about it. Mac Jones, for the most part, had all the time he needed to throw. We're still waiting for something from Adafe Owe, who in three, I'm telling you, in, in the summer, he was dominant. And, and we were, he was in the backfield every play. And I know it was against Ronnie Stanley wasn't playing. It might have been against practice squad tackles or, or whatever. But he has been so quiet through three games. No tackles. I mean, no sacks. No quarterback hit yet through three games. Justin Houston got hurt and left the game early yesterday. So they're really thin at outside linebacker. They signed Brandon Copeland. Baltimore native had gone to Gilman, bounced around the league a few times. He's back, and he actually got a sack yesterday in his first game after being uh, promoted from the practice squad for the game. And now with Houston hurt, it's very timely that uh, they bring on Jason Pierre-Paul. The the move was kind of reported last week. John Harbaugh said, well, it's not officially yet. He's going to come in for his physical. We expect he'll be there today to take his physical and will be on the practice field this week. But at age 33, Daniel Wilcox in the situation they have now, what what can they realistically expect from Jason Pierre-Paul? I think that what they get from him is a true 4-3 outside defensive end that could come off the ball and rush the passer. And he's still long, he's still rangy, he's still physical, and he's still strong. He might have lost a couple of steps with the motor, you know, but he'll definitely create some pressure on the quarterback, and he's going to create double-team situations on him. What you need? You need, you need guys that can create and demand that kind of respect. You know, especially when you got somebody like Calais Campbell on the inside. You know, if you can get somebody on the outside to kind of pull one or two of those guys off of him and let him go one-on-one, now they got to respect Pierre Paul on the outside edge. I think you'll get more pressure up the middle, and then you'll get more pressure causing from the edges. And um, I mean, you'll, you'll be right back where you were, you know, when you had a, a Terrell Suggs or, or a Judon there, you know, causing all types of havoc. You have to get pressure on the quarterback in this league. Every quarterback in this league can pick you apart if you give them time to sit back there comfortably knowing that you don't, you're not going to touch them, you know? So you have to make these guys feel uncomfortable. And that's what Mac Jones felt. He felt uncomfortable this game and he made some mistakes because he, he tried to force some balls downfield that wasn't there. And he was trying to get rid of the ball too fast because he felt that pressure breathing down his neck. And I mean, that's what you want. You want, you want somebody that's going to cause that pressure. And I think Pierre Paul still has that juice, you know, even at 33, he has that juice. You know, it's old in football terms, but it's still young in our minds. We still feel like we can do everything we did at 22 at, at 33. So I think Pierre Paul would be a great addition. I love the fact that he brings a little bit of grit with him, and he's he's been around this league for a long, long, long time. So you, you get a little bit of that veteran savvy 
Um, he's been to a couple of Super Bowls, so he knows exactly what it looked like. He knows what it feels like. And I think it's good to have those type of guys. I remember when we went to the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, you know, we had Lomas Brown on our team. I don't know if you remember Lomas Brown, but Lomas Brown was an old vet. He never really played a snap unless we really needed him to. But he was that mentorship guy that you needed in the locker room to help all those younger guys get over the hump and see what it what it looked like to be a real true pro in this league. And um, he he was basically another coach on the field. You know, he would go out there and work with the younger guys and help the younger guys get better. And when we needed him, he stepped right in and he, he we didn't miss a beat. If anything, we got better with him being in there. And I think if you could just bring Jason Pierre-Paul in and keep him fresh on third downs and just have him come in and be a pass rusher for you, he'll be a heavy impact this game. You know, not saying that he's only a third down guy because he can give you all four downs. Well, they're, they're going to need him. I mean, especially we'll, we'll find out probably later this week the status of Justin Houston, but he left early in that game yeah. with a groin injury, so we don't know what his status will be going forward. But even if he's there, and we, Tyus Bowser is still at least a week away because he's not eligible to rejoin the team till week five. We're hoping to get um, some clarity on, from John Harbaugh whether that will happen, but it's still a thin group. And in this game against yeah. New England, Calais Campbell ended up playing all but six defensive snaps, and that's just too much for him. And I think it was right. just a fact that he's playing some outside linebacker snaps after Justin Houston left because they just didn't have the bodies. And I think that's another factor with this pass rush, particularly in the second half of games among the front seven, especially at the outside linebacker. You got guys that are just worn out. And you're asking Justin Houston to play a lot of snaps at his age. You're asking Calais Campbell to play a lot of snaps at his age. Jason Pierre-Paul, he had, he didn't go. In, he wasn't in any training camp. He had shoulder surgery in February, so he's got some ramp up, I think. But I think they can't afford to wait too long on Jason Pierre-Paul. And we asked John Harbaugh this week or last week rather, what 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 can you expect from this? Hey, we expect people that are ready to play. We're not we're not signing people as a favor. If you if you sign and you if you're in shape, we need you basically now. And I don't know how quickly Jason Pierre-Paul can ramp up, but again, any snaps they give him is going to be a help. They can keep it simple with him at this point and say, hey, you know, just see quarterback, get quarterback kind of thing. But I think it will be an important addition to this team because right now the pass rush is not where it needs to be. And those guys in the back can do all the covering they want, but if they have to cover for five, six, seven seconds, someone's going to get open. And as you said, NFL quarterbacks with enough time will carve you up, every single one of them. They're professional quarterbacks, and you know the pass rush has to be better than it's been so far. All right, well, coming up this week, the Ravens will get a real test because they will get Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills coming to town. The Bills, many people think, will be a Super Bowl contender. Now, the Bills went down to Miami this week and got beat. So they come to Baltimore smarting a little bit, and the Ravens come in rebounding from a big win against New England. It'll be the Ravens and the Bills Sunday at M&T Bank Stadium in what should be a huge game and another big, big test for this Ravens defense. Daniel Wilcox and I will be back later this week to preview that Bills game, and maybe we'll have a little more clarity on Jason Pierre-Paul and his future with this team and whether he will be able to play in that game. I want to thank you for listening to this recap of Ravens-Patriots. Again, I'm Bo Smolka, host of the Believe in the Ravens podcast with my co-host, former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox, on the Believe in the Ravens podcast presented by Bet Online.